0: Amen. Amen. As the choir comes down, why don't you grab a copy of Scripture and uh, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, We're in our series called Relate. We're talking about relationships, the way we relate to one another uh, in various ways. Uh, We last week began talking about the relationship of marriage. We're going to talk one more week about marriage today. And then move on to other relationships next week. But uh, we've, in this uh, series, we are, we started talking about marriage with regards to grace, and we talked about advancing grace last week. And this week we'll talk about responding grace. Responding grace, 1 Corinthians thirteen. You can find that on page thirteen ninety one in the pew Bible in front of you. So if you don't have a copy of Scripture, you can just grab that Bible out of the Pew rack in front of you, turn to page 1391. Now, last week, we talked about advancing grace. We talked about how marriage should be an environment where we advance grace to one another based upon the grace that God advanced to us. Now, as we were going through that, I told some of you because I could see the walls coming up. I could see them. I could see the husbands who were sitting there thinking, Pastor... You don't know what I got to deal with every day. You don't know how difficult she is. You don't know what she puts me through. And I could see even more wives looking at me thinking, you have no idea what this idiot next to me does to me every single day. And you want me to advance him grace. You want me to just advance this grace to him because the grace has been and he's just totally undeserving of it. And I understand that. And so and I told you, I said, listen, just hold on, because next week we're going to talk about responding grace. Responding grace is about what do you do when you have been hurt? What do you do in the struggle and in the trials? I mean, marriage is is work. It's hard work. It's difficult work. And, you know, and we all are are growing in our in our marital relationships. All of us who are married, we're we're learning every day. You never you never get there. My own marriage is is always in a process of growth, and uh, you know, and I'm always uh, uh, sometimes doing things maybe I shouldn't be doing. And one of the fun things about marriage is is that you. Uh, can look back and just think about the ridiculous things that have caused a strife in your in your life. And then you realize if, if we get aggravated with one another over these silly things, then obviously what do you think is going to happen when, when something big happens? You know, it seems whatever I'm preaching on, whatever's uh, on my heart, whatever I'm working on and studying on uh, during the course of the week, you know, my week becomes a living illustration of that thing. So there's certain topics that I just don't look forward to preaching about because I know that during the week there are going to be all these opportunities. Well, you know, last night I totally aggravated my wife just by the providence of God so I'd be able to, you know, stand up here and, and be truthful with you, you know. I just totally aggravated her. But here's the thing, and I and I violated the very principle that I'm about to share with you because I aggravated her in response to her aggravation to me. See, she decided, you know, a few weeks ago that we were all going to start eating healthy. Now that was her decision. I just want you to know. I mean, I, I was on board and knew that it was good, but be honest with you, I, I'm, I really wasn't embracing it. You know what I'm saying? And so all the, 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 the snack food is gone from my house. Well, that's a problem. You know what I mean? So I am I started having to improvise. Now, what I'm about to tell you, man, if you haven't figured this out, I'm about to let you in on a little secret. You know, when there's no junk food in your kitchen, if you go to the area of the kitchen that you never go to, open the cabinet with all the baking supplies in it, You know, the flour and the cake mixes and all that stuff. Well, in there, I found out that you can buy bags of crumbled up candy bars that women use for baking. And it tastes just like the candy bar. And not only that, you can just pour it in your mouth. Praise God. Now, what I didn't think about was that my wife was going to go in the kitchen about 8.30 last night to make her snack for Sunday school today. (laughs) That I failed to realize. What I should have done was replenished it. But... Amen. So the, the sound of her voice coming from the kitchen. Tony. Have you seen. The bag. Of Heath bar. Oh I saw it. I saw that sucker shrinking right before my eyes. She said you ate the whole bag. I'm like. The whole bag. I dumped the whole thing in a cup and sat there and just, y'all, it was it was awesome. I mean awesome. Woo. I mean it's like anyway, see in heaven, man, that's just gonna you just shake a tree and heath bar drops out. I mean my goodness. Alright, let's pray so we can focus, okay? All right. Because now everybody's craving a Heath Bar. Let's focus, okay. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to come before your word. Help us now, God, to have ears to hear and hearts to receive. We, uh, we, can, we can laugh and we can joke. But, God, we recognize the seriousness of this uh, endeavor before us, Lord. and We desire more than anything to display your glory in our relationships and especially in our marriages. So help us, Lord, help us to honor You, to respond to Your Word, God. Give us ears to hear that we might bring You glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 6, Stand in the ways and see, the Lord says, and ask for the old paths where the good way is. Walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But the people of God responded, We will not walk in it. You know there's many applications to that passage of scripture in in Jeremiah six, but certainly marriage is a a perfect picture of what Jeremiah is teaching us that that, that there is a way, an old path that God has established for marriage to uh, be this amazing display of his glory, and we have strayed far from that. And that in order to respond to all that God has for us today, we we just have to center our hearts and our minds on the reality that God does have a blueprint for the marriage relationship. He has given us that which we need, but we have to understand that we're going to have to abandon the the way of the times we're going to have to abandon the uh, advice of the culture and we're going to have to return to the old paths we're going to have to look to what god says about marriage and really uh, drink deeply from the well of his truth and i know that before i say a single word that that there is uh, there's hesitation in 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 hearts in this room because of uh, some of the things that you know the Bible says about marriage that have been uh, put before you maybe in a, in a in an incomplete manner and used as uh, weapons. And it should not be so. It should not be so. And so we want to return to the old path and we want the Lord to show us this morning uh, how to have responding grace in our relationship. So first thing we're going to look at is The path itself. We're going to look at the path. The path of responding grace in a relationship. And to do that, I want you to notice with me in 1 Corinthians 13 what the Lord has to say about love. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 1, Apostle Paul says, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I have nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers Long, it's kind, it does not envy, it does not parade itself, it is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, it doesn't think evil, it does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. The uh, the Bible scholar Eugene Peterson, he sums that passage up with just the following statements of love he says love never gives up love cares more for others than for itself love doesn't want what it cannot have love doesn't strut love doesn't have a swelled head it doesn't force itself on others it is it isn't always me first it doesn't fly off the handle it doesn't keep score of the sins of others it doesn't revel when others grovel it takes pleasure in the flowering of truth it puts up with anything it trusts God always it always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going forward. Love is depicted in the scripture as as a very amazing, beautiful uh, it, and and complex uh, emotion and action and what we want to understand is that it is not what is presented today it is not what you will see on your television it's not what you're going to see depicted in in movies or popular books you're going to have to return to the old path to really see what God says about love and how the relationship between a man and a woman is to is to prosper and to and to bring the glory of God that it was intended to bring but We we respond to hurt in 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 what comes natural to us, which is counter to what God would tell us. You see that the the reality in this room is that uh, there's some of you in this room that face great challenges in your marital relationship. And and there's great hurt and there has been great hurt and maybe there's ongoing hurt and, and there's. There are people in this room and people you love dearly. Your, your children are in a, a very difficult marriage. Your parents are in a very difficult marriage. It's, it's complex and it's, it's real and it's something that you have to face on a daily basis. But think about what comes natural to us. We, we in an effort to get our spouse to change or to stop behaving in a certain way, we use yelling and shouting to get our point across, we, maybe we use snide, cutting comments, thinking somehow that that's going to give them the hint that they don't need to behave the way they are. Some of us uh, withdraw when we're hurt or uh, feeling angry. Some of us, we try sulking or pouting. And all of these things come natural to us. But they don't work. They never have worked. And they never will work. They, they simply trap us in this endless cycle of dysfunction where you respond because you've been responded to incorrectly, so you respond incorrectly. And around and around it goes. And no one ever wins. And no one ever changes. And if we look back, what we'd see is that in actuality, this uh, behavior, it makes our marriages worse, not better. And yet, so oftentimes... We can recognize that we can uh, accept that, even own that, and then the very next time that we're hurt or offended, we do it all over again, as if suddenly this strategy is going to work if suddenly you see in the calmness of this moment well, it what what's sensible to us right now goes out the window when our emotions flare up, and when some when when anger and when hurt comes into the picture, we just cast away all the logic and all the truth that we know in our heart and we, we fall right back into a trap of doing something that has never worked. It's never worked. We reject the ancient path of, of God's intention for relationships. You know, the, Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 6, he says, I, I say to you, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you pray for those who spitefully use you. That's very different from the way we often respond. He goes on in verse 32 of Luke chapter 6 and says, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that for you? For even sinners love those who love them. In other words, this whole idea that we're going to respond in accordance to what has been done to us. So if, if you're if you're a good spouse, then I'll be a good spouse back to you. But if you're not a good spouse, then I'm not going to be a good spouse back to you because that wouldn't be fair. That wouldn't be fair to me. It wouldn't be fair to me to, to, to show you grace when you don't deserve grace, when you haven't earned grace, when you don't show grace to me. And so we respond with what comes natural, rejecting God's ancient path for relationships, which is the exact opposite, that we're to love our enemies. You see, what Jesus is saying is that the ancient path to, to follow when you've been offended is really made up of two simple steps. The first step is is that you do not respond to evil with evil. But the second step is that you go beyond that and you respond to evil with good. And so in the, in the peace and tranquility of a moment like this, that may make sense. But in the emotion... Of hurt and anger, out the window it goes. Do you know what Jesus is, is teaching us? Do you know why He's saying that we're to love our enemies? Why we're to do good to those who hurt us and persecute us? Do you know what that is? That's grace. That's grace. Jesus is teaching us that we're to show unmerited favor just as we've been recipients of unmerited favor. You know, grace is not the toy in the Happy Meal of Christianity. That's not what grace is. Grace isn't something you just pull out and play with every once in a while and then put in your pocket until you get bored or you need it again and you get it out. Grace is our greatest need. And it's also our greatest tool to display the glory of God and to bring healing to the fractured relationships that are around us. And so the path, the ancient path for relationships is one where we have responding Grace. Well, what about the purpose? What's the purpose? What's the purpose of this marital relationship? I mean, if we're going to follow the path, we need to know what the purpose is. Well, why is there such a breakdown so oftentimes in the way in which we relate to one another? Well, because the modern purpose for marriage is one of self-fulfillment. Is that we 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 get married, and then we we because it's it, the this marriage relationship is going to provide certain things that we need and certain things that we want, and so we go into it with this idea that well i'm going to be the spouse I should be, but they're going to be the spouse they should be, and so then my actions are then in direct response to the degree to which they respond to what they're supposed to be. The problem is is that no one's ever really sat down and had that conversation. And so every every new wife has ideas of what this m- new husband is going to be that the new husband has totally different ideas about and vice versa. And so you're you're doomed for struggle if you just walk into this without understanding what the purpose is. If there's any relationship on earth that we better be clear about its purpose, its marriage... Marriage is the most intense of all human relationships. It's the place where love and grace find their greatest beauty and their greatest display. But it can also be the place where pain, hostility, and rage find their most vivid expressions. And we know this. Every married couple knows this because nobody can get you more frustrated quicker than your spouse because they know you better and they're closer to you. So what is the biblical purpose of marriage? The biblical purpose of marriage is gospel reenactment. That's what marriage is for. That's the point of marriage, gospel reenactment. The the apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, therefore, so what we said last week, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Before Paul gets into any of the, the 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 discussion about marriage in Ephesians 5, he begins by saying we're to be imitators of God as dear children and we're to walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a sweet smelling aroma. The Bible sees marriage as this Drama that is played out where husbands and wives reenact the gospel on a daily basis. That's what the purpose of marriage, according to God, is. And so when Paul gets through all this and he gets to the 31st and 32nd verse of Ephesians 5, then he says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church, pointing us to back to remember what he said. It's to be gospel reenactment. It's to be we're to be imitators of God. We enter marriage to lay down our lives and to serve and to seek the glory of our spouse. The gospel says that I will be the spouse I should be regardless of what my spouse will be back to me. You see, we don't love our spouse because they're beautiful. We don't love them because they act beautiful. We love them to make them beautiful. That's what the gospel did to you and to me. The gospel comes into our lives and it makes us beautiful. And if we're going to reenact the gospel in the marital relationship, then we need to understand, you know, how what does that mean? Well, what that means is, is that we make our spouse beautiful in the gospel. How? How, Tony? What do you mean by that? How does that work? Well, think about it. The only way that you or I could ever be called the beloved of God is by His grace. The Bible's crystal clear. We had no hope, no chance. There was no way we could ever earn Our standing in God, we could never earn our salvation. We could never earn our way into be His sons or His daughters. And we had to be the recipients of His grace. And so the gospel says that it's the grace of God that makes us beautiful. And apart from the grace of God, all we can ever be is unbeautiful. And so if we're going to make our spouse beautiful, we're going to have to leverage everything in the grace of God. Grace. Now listen. Listen, as you're in your mind, you're, if you're recounting scenarios between your, your, you and your spouse, if you're thinking about things that they've done to you and you're hearing what I'm saying and walls are starting to come up, grace is more than just biting your tongue and, and acting like everything's okay or that you're not upset. Grace is, is being so enamored and so captured with the love of God that the gospel then dictates your attitudes and the philosophies that govern your life. It's not just accepting the way things are. Did the gospel do that to you? No. What did the gospel do? The gospel, through the grace of God, Transformed you. It made you beautiful. It didn't leave you like you were. But it was the grace that did it. And so you, you can't, if, if your spouse is gonna be transformed, it's gonna be through grace. Because that's the only way transformation comes. It's not gonna come through, uh, through some human, uh, endeavor. It's gonna come through a supernatural act of gospel grace. And so, I don't know a lot of things, but I know some things. I know that the more grace that there is in my marriage, the better off it's going to be. I know that to be true. But I also know that I only have control over the amount of grace that I bring into it, I have no control over the amount of grace. That Lisa brings into our marriage. And so if on one hand I know. That the more grace the better. And I also know that I have no control over. The grace that she brings to bear on it. Then my response to that is. Is to bring all the grace I can to bear. On my marriage. Because I do have control over me. In order to do that, you have to stop looking across the fence and analyzing what the other person is doing and mitigating and deciding whether or not they're deserving of the grace that you know you need to bestow. And so that's the the path and the purpose. Now let's talk about the picture because I want you to see a picture of what this looks like. I want you to see a display, a picture right before you so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. These verses will come up on the screen. Beginning in verse 25, watch what the Apostle Paul says. A picture of the old path for the marriage relationship. Ephesians 5 verse 25. Husbands, love your wives... Watch this grace come to bear. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Do you see how the gospel made you beautiful? You see how the gospel coming to bear on your life makes us beautiful. And it is through the grace of God that we can stand before God as children of God and be beautiful. It, it, it's 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 not husbands, love your wives as she deserves to be loved. It's not... Uh, Devote yourself to making her into the person that you think she ought to be. It's not wives, change your husbands. Make them the people that you think that they ought to be. That's not it at all. But it's sanctify and cleanse one another by the washing of the word. Just as Jesus did for us that he might present us a glorious church. See, we need to understand this morning that Jesus' bride is ugly. Have you ever thought about that? You know, Ephesians 525, it, it, it lays out this glorious, uh, picture of this beautiful, glorious bride. But that's not how the relationship began. The relationship began by Jesus choosing an ugly bride, an unfaithful bride, a flippant, apathetic, shallow, selfish, prone to give our love to any and everything that will receive it kind of bride. That's the bride we were. We weren't standing there in our white dress, all pure and clean and beautiful and fixed up, and then He comes and sweeps us off our feet. That's not how that went down. He had to go down to the red light district. He had to pull us up out of the gutter. And by the grace of the gospel, He made us. This glorious bride. That's how that happened. See, we, we gotta be, we, we gotta understand how we got where we are. We gotta understand how all this went down. But praise God, He didn't give up on us. Praise God, He didn't show up. He, He didn't take one look at me at 25 years old and say, man, forget that. There, there's just too much work in that young man. He's just too far gone. I'm not interested. Thank God. He pursued me. And He wooed me. And He loved me unto Himself. And He he brought the gospel to bear on me. And He used His grace to clean me up and to make me fresh and new. You know, to the men of this family, I have a few things I want to say to you this morning. You know, maybe you don't have a great marriage. Maybe there's some areas of your life and and in general with your marriage, you're just dissatisfied or going through the motions. Maybe every day for you is a struggle just to keep the peace. Maybe it is a a daily grind and you're sitting here and you're thinking about how your wife... Is not everything that she ought to be and how, how you're aware of all the areas of her deficiencies and you've got this list in your head as we men are so good about doing and we've got a, a list of all the things that, that, that cause our marriage to not be the way they ought to be and these things need to change in order for our marriage to be what we think they ought to be. Well before you start down that list of inadequacies that are in your head? Did you ever think that maybe that's why God gave her to you? Did you ever stop to consider that maybe she is damaged and broken in some areas? Maybe all the things that are on your list in your head are true. But maybe that's why God gave her To you. Didn't God make every man? Didn't He put in every heart of every man the desire to be a warrior, the desire to be a conqueror? Isn't it true that men by divine creation in the image of God long to be challenged? Well, then why are we cowering down from the challenge that sits beside us? Why are we so quick to whine and complain about everything that she isn't? Why don't we just accept the call of God on our lives to give ourselves for her, regardless of how she responds to us, to devote our lives to the one that God gave us, to her sanctification by the washing of the word? That isn't it true that every man's first and highest calling on this earth is to storm the beaches of our wives' hearts to live to war against that which... Desires to destroy her and beat her down. Shouldn't we as men and husbands be fighting like hell so that she can stand before God? We can present her as the blameless, beautiful bride that He gave her to us to be? That's what God made us to do. He made us to own the challenge that's before us. To fight. So let's not put all of our energy into our careers. And into our hobbies. And into our, into our other things. And let's realize that the challenge is sitting right beside us. And that we need to rise up as men. We need to rise up with men. And own the reality that no matter how... Hopeless It seems today God gave her to you, which tells me he must see in you the potential to win this war. Or he wouldn't have gave her to you. And you know, I can't say that until I chew it up and swallow it myself. I can't say to you that this is what we ought to do unless I'm willing to wage that war right alongside you. That my responsibility as a husband is to fight every day for the sanctification of my wife. And the primary weapon that I have to fight this battle is the grace of God. And I know there's, there's some of you in this room and you're thinking to yourself, I just don't know if it's possible. I, I feel like that this marriage is going to kill me. Okay. That's gospel reenactment. Because this marriage killed Jesus. He had to die for His bride. So if you have to die for your bride, then I don't know of any other way you can better display the reality of the gospel in your life. And to wives, let me say this. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, that the Lord said, "...it's not good for man to be alone." He said, I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now that word helper, it's the Hebrew word azer. The word azer is a word that is used in the Old Testament 21 times. It's a word that comes up twice in the creation uh, story. It's used... Several times in the Old Testament as a military term, but the primary use of the word Azer in the scripture is to refer to God's help for us. That God uses that same word to describe the way in which He, as the Lord of the universe, helps His people. So, for example, when the Bible says in Hosea chapter 13, verse 9, the Lord says, O Israel, you are destroyed, but your help, your azer, comes from me. Same word. So if that's true, which it is, then that ought to begin to adjust your thinking about who you are in the Bible story, who you are in the context of God's creation and in the context of marriage. Being an azer is not what a woman does. It's who she is created to be. It is what you are by design. It's your God-given design to reflect the image and the glory of God in uniquely female ways. But they're not ways of weakness. You cannot be an azer without being in a position of strength. Think about this. How can you be a helper? How could you be helpful if you didn't possess qualities or strengths that the one in which you were helping didn't possess? You couldn't. So see, in the same way that God is the azer to his people when they're utterly destroyed. You, ladies, are created by God to be an azer to your husband. So whatever situation you find yourself in, you're not in a position of weakness or of lesser value. You have been equipped by God in a special way that brings not only strength, but life. And so don't quit, don't give up, don't throw in the towel, don't wave the white flag. But just as we as husbands have to. Accept and and receive and charge forward in what God has called us to do. You as wives need to do the same. And I think it's destructive for you to to not understand that God made you as an azer. But that help is so rich and so deep and so powerful and so transforming. So what does it look like when a husband and wife devote themselves to advancing and responding grace towards one another? Well, what happens is it serves as a vivid reminder to, to all of us who God is and what he's done and how he has in the gospel made us beautiful. See, that's what grace does. That's what seeing the grace of God poured out between husbands and wives. Advancing grace and responding grace and advancing grace and responding grace. It just displays the gospel. It brings us to a place of understanding and remembrance. Because we have to know, we have to know who we are apart from God. We have to know who He is. And then what happened When he reconciled himself to us. How did all of, how did we get to where we are? Because if we don't, here's what happens. If we don't, we just put ourselves in a position of entitlement. And once we do that, we've alienated ourselves from the ancient path. Once we put ourselves in a position of I deserve to be happy. I deserve to be blessed. I deserve to have things go the way I think they ought to go. You're rejecting the ancient path of the gospel. So let's have a refresher course. Some of the most vivid, descriptive, raw words in all of Scripture depicting the way in which this relationship began. Ezekiel chapter 16. As I read, you listen. The Lord says of His people, Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. Two pagan nations. As for your nativity, on the day that you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt or wrapped in swaddling cloths. No, no, I pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you, but you were thrown out into an open field when you yourself were loathed on the day you were born. And when I, the Lord, passed by you, And saw you struggling in your own blood. I said to you, as you lay in your own blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field. And you grew and you matured. And you became beautiful, the Bible says. And your breasts were formed and your hair grew. But you were naked and bare. And when I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed, your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and I covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you and you became mine, says the Lord. Then I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you in embroidered clothes and gave you sandals. And badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments. I put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. I put a jewel on your nose, an earring in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver. And your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate pastry of fine flour and honey. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. Your fame went out from among all the nations of your beauty. For it was perfect through my splendor which I bestowed upon you, says the Lord. But you responded by trusting In your own beauty. You played the harlot because of your fame. And you poured out your harlotry on everyone passing by who would have it. You see the grace of God in the gospel. That's the story of the gospel. That's the story of an unrelenting God who takes the most unbeautiful, undeserving bride. He he scoops down the one that is utterly rejected, the one who is utterly hopeless, and he takes that one and he props them up and he cleans them off and he gives them what they need to become the people that he created them to be. And then he grants us the opportunity to live in relationship, in covenant relationship. Just as he made a covenant with us, he calls us to make a covenant as husbands and wives to one another. And then within the bounds of that covenant to relive on a daily basis the splendor of this story, the beauty of the gospel, the love of a God who loved an unlovable person, who shed grace abroad, who advanced grace when it wasn't there, who who responded in grace when it was undeserving, who grace upon grace upon grace. Listen, this morning, if you want to be radical, if you really want to live a radical life, you don't need to be a missionary. You don't need to be a pastor. You want to be radical today in America? Stay married. Love your spouse in spite of what they do. Walk with them. Trust God. And shed the glory of the gospel upon the one that God has given you. And don't look for them to fulfill all your needs. Don't look for them to supply all your wants. Look to the only one who can. Look to the God that we honor in the covenant of marriage. And when it gets dark, and it gets dark, And when it gets deep, and believe me, I know, it gets deep. And when the day seems like it will never, ever come. When you can just breathe again. Remember the gospel. Remember that he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How then would He not give freely to us all things? He will help you. He will sustain you. He is the lover of your soul. That is the only way, the only way that we're going to be able to show grace to one another in the context of marriage. You know, it's so easy, it's so easy to just make blanket statements about everything that we all ought to do. True as they are. But at the same time, realizing that. You know, there's this condemnation that wants to just pushed down into the hearts of every person in this room that's ever been divorced. And you just immediately go right back to the condemnation of that time. It's so easy to live in the, in the sorrows of yesterday. Listen, I began this whole talk by reading 1 Corinthians 13. Love doesn't keep record of wrongs. Love is, is today in this moment propelling you forward from whatever you've been through up until this point. But it's calling us in this moment to devote ourselves to being honest. Honest about what, we, what do we really deserve? Have we not been granted far, far above anything that we could have ever dreamed of? That God has scooped us up, taken us in, cleaned us off, made us beautiful. Let's make the goal of our marriages... To make our spouse beautiful, regardless of what they do, in response. Because that's what God did for you and me. Let's stand, bow our heads. Father, we thank you for helping us this morning to peer into, Lord, the ancient path of the marriage relationship. Father, thank you. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for my family here, Lord. And God, thank you that together we walk this journey called life. That, Lord, every single person here, every young person who's yet to become married, Lord, and every couple, every... Widow, widower, Lord, we're all in this together. And Lord, you've placed us here as a family to relate to one another in such a way that we bring you glory and honor. And so, God, thank you for that. Thank you that I'm not out there on my own. Thank you for the amazing, beautiful, spectacular pictures of husbands and wives that are in this room right now. Thank you, Lord. And thank you for those who struggle, who are hanging on by a a thread right now. Thank you. Because where there's a thread, the gospel can work. Lord, fill our hearts with grace for one another. And God, help us to walk in truth, to respond as you, O Lord, respond to us. And God, we'll give you glory and praise for what you do. Lord, thank you for the invitation that we have to just come to you, to bring our our struggles to you and our our questions to you. And God, the, the hurts and the pains and the regrets of yesterday. Thank you, Lord, that you are ever, arms open, welcoming us unto you, Lord. So God, now as we have this time of just stillness before You of invitation, Lord. I pray that that all of us together, each one, God would just respond to the grace that You've shown us, Lord. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit has convicted our heart about, God, would we respond to You? Why wouldn't we trust You? Why would we why would we say no after all that You have shown, all that You have accomplished and done on our behalf? So, Lord, give us courage to just trust You and to do that which You've called us to do. There are some here this morning that need to make public their profession of faith in You, Lord. Some need to follow You in believer's baptism. And Your arms are open. And as a family, Lord, we pray that They would respond to you. God, there's some husbands right now who want to lead their wives to the altar, but they're afraid of what she might think or what she might do. God, give them courage to storm the beaches of her heart. God, a wife who is timid and feels weak, Lord, help her to rise up and be the azer that you created her to be to, to bring help unto her husband to lead him to the altar and to pray over him and to ask God to work mightily in their life and family, Lord. Whatever it is, Father God, give us the courage, Lord, to respond to you. In Jesus' name I pray.